0: Acts chapter two, let's begin reading the word of the Lord at verse one. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. There appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. I want to back up to verse one, please. I want you to read that one more time. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Now, Lord, open our hearts, I pray, that we may hear and receive your word, that it may speak to us, that it be an encouraging word, a a challenging word, a transforming word. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit will say in the midst of the preaching. I lift up to you other life-giving churches. I pray blessing upon them. I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you and ask especially that you will speak to the hearts of sons and daughters who have wandered from the faith. Draw them back to you. Don't let one of them be lost. I believe you for that, and thank you for it. Pray all of these things in the only name that matters, the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. When you look into the pages of God's Word, you discover that He often reveals Himself in patterns and precepts and principles. When God spoke to his people, Israel, in the Old Testament, one of the ways he spoke was through the establishment of certain celebrations the Bible calls feasts. These feasts were not only commemorating special events in the history of Israel, but they were also prophetic pictures of something God was promising to do in the life of his people and in the fulfillment of his divine purpose. Those feasts were messages to Israel. And they serve as messages to all who are part of the people of God today through faith in Jesus. In the Old Testament book of Leviticus, chapter 23, there are seven feasts God commanded his people to observe. Four of them were observed in the spring, and three were in the fall. The four spring feasts were prophetic pictures of things that have already been fulfilled by the ministry of Jesus the Messiah. The fall feasts are prophetic pictures of things that are yet to come. The spring feasts begin with the feast of Passover. This was a commemoration of an historical event for Israel, marking their deliverance from Egyptian bondage, but it was also a prophetic picture that found its fulfillment in the crucifixion of Jesus, the Passover lamb. The feast of unleavened bread begins the day after Passover and was so closely tied to Passover that with the passing of time, the two came to be observed as one holiday by the Jewish people. While Passover speaks of the crucifixion of Jesus, the Feast of Unleavened Bread proclaims that his physical body would not experience the ravages of death while in the grave. The third feast occurs on the second day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and is called the Feast of First Fruits. It marks the beginning of the barley harvest. In that feast, the first sheaf of harvested barley was cut from a field on the Mount of Olives and in a carefully prescribed ceremony was then presented by the priest to the Lord at the temple. The Lord's acceptance of the first fruits was a pledge on his part of a full harvest, a pledge or an earnest that the rest of the crop would also come out of the ground. So it is that this third feast is also a prophetic picture that has already been fulfilled. If Passover proclaims the death of Jesus and unleavened bread proclaims his body not seeing decay while in the grave, the feast of first fruits proclaims in a very powerful way the resurrection of Jesus, who according to 1 Corinthians 15, is the first fruits of all those who die. This brings us to the fourth feast. That is called Shavuot, or the Feast of Weeks, and to us commonly known as Pentecost. The name Feast of Weeks comes from the Lord's instruction to count seven weeks from first fruits, which is 49 days, for the observance of this fourth feast. Then on the following day, day 50, this day was to be observed. The name Pentecost comes from this idea of 50 days, for Pentecost means... 50. On this occasion of Shavuot or the feast of weeks or Pentecost, instead of barley, the people were to bring the first fruits of the wheat harvest to the temple. In addition, they were to bring two loaves of bread that were baked with fine flour and leaven, the only time leaven was included in an offering to the Lord. Looking at these spring feasts in sequence, you find that Passover speaks of redemption. Messiah, the Passover lamb, has been slain for us. Unleavened bread speaks of sanctification. Jesus was set apart. Unlike all other men, his body would not decay in the grave. He would not see corruption. First fruits speaks of resurrection. Death and the grave could not hold him. Jesus rose triumphantly from the grave, the first fruits of all who had died. The feast of weeks speaks of origination. The coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost inaugurated the new covenant and the church age. The middle wall of separation between Jews and Gentiles has been broken down, which is represented by the inclusion of leaven in the loaves. From the two groups, the Lord is calling out the church, which is his body. It is this calling out of people from every kindred, every tribe, every tongue we are told about here in Acts chapter 2. One of the things that fairly leaps out at me every time I read about the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and about the operation of the first century church is the number of times the Bible talks about together and agreement and in one accord and unity. This tells me that unity among the people of God is important to the Heavenly Father. And the key lesson I want you to take from this message today is a very simple one, all right? I'm going to give it to you on the front end, and then I'm just going to keep pounding on it for the rest of the message. Because it's a key that will enable you to live the overcoming life, and it's the key for how this church can be a relevant church in a modern world. Are you ready? You may want to write this down. Here's the key. Where there is unity, there is power. Where there is unity, there is power. Why don't you just tell somebody there close to where you're sitting, just look over at them and tell them, where there is unity, there is power. If you don't get anything else out of this message, I want you to get that. Where there is unity, there is power. If you want to understand something about the power of unity, you don't have to look very far in the Bible. It's right in the very first three verses of the very first book. The first three verses of Genesis proclaim a revelation of the work of Almighty God, who is a triune being, a trinity. Verse 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the heavenly Father, God. In verse two, another member of the Trinity is revealed when it says, and the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was moving. Another translation says hovering. Another one says brooding over the surface of the waters. That's the Holy Spirit. Finally, verse three reveals the third member of the Trinity when it says, then God said, let there be light and there was light. The third revelation is of Jesus, whom we know from the Gospel of John, chapter one, is the Word of God. So, what we have right in the very beginning of creation is unity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are united in agreement, and there is power. Enough power to create everything in existence out of absolutely nothing. Light of the sun, moon, and stars, water and land, plants, trees, fish. Birds, land animals, every living creature, all created out of nothing. All came from the mind of the Father through the Word of God, the Son, according to the operational power of God, the Holy Spirit. As if all the glory, majesty, and beauty of this creative world wasn't enough, there was unity once again as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit joined together in verse 26 and decided, let us. Us make man in our image according to our likeness. In the very beginning of the book, there is a demonstration of power beyond anything we can produce or even imagine power to call everything in creation out of nothing, power to set in motion all the cosmos. Power to place the boundaries on the seas. Power to bring life into the shell of a man so that he became a living soul. That's power. And this power is activated as the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in perfect unity. There is never any thought of God saying, I think we ought to create broccoli. And the Holy Spirit responding, I don't think that's such a good idea. Maybe you want it, and maybe Jesus is going to say it, but I'm not going to cooperate with my operational force. There is never any thought of Jesus saying, well, you can want it to happen, and the Holy Spirit can be all set to make it happen, but I'm not going to say it because one day I'm going to be down on the earth as a human, and I'm not going to want to eat that stuff. Now, we know that's a ridiculous idea because with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit... There is always perfect agreement, never any dissonance, never any clash. There is always perfect unity. And what? Where there is unity, there is power. Unity is so important to God that he models it for us in the very essence and nature of who he is all the way from eternity past. And this is the backdrop for what we see happening in the upper room in Jerusalem as recorded in chapter 2 of the book of Acts. In the previous chapter of Acts, you remember Jesus has ascended back to the Father in heaven. His last instruction to his followers was for them to return to Jerusalem and wait until they were filled with the Holy Spirit. There were probably, from best things that we can determine, there were probably close to 500 people gathered on the Mount of Olives that day who heard this instruction. 500 people watching as Jesus was taken back into heaven. 500 people seeing the angels and hearing the promise that this same Jesus would return in the very same way they had seen him go into heaven. But between the Mount of Olives and the upper room, something happened. 500 heard the instruction, but there were only 120 in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. Now think about it. The Lord is getting ready to empower his people. The church is about to be set in motion as the official representative of Jesus on this earth. The power to fulfill the great commission of going into all the world and preaching the gospel is about to be poured out. 500 people doesn't seem like nearly enough people to accomplish this mammoth task of evangelizing the world. And 380 of them don't even stick around long enough to see if anything's going to happen. They go home. Only 120 of them make it to the upper room but where there is unity there is power now i am a thoroughgoing unapologetic holy ghost baptized tongue talking card carrying pentecostal i'm convinced it is important for every believer in jesus To not only have the witness of the Spirit in your salvation, but to have the empowerment of the Spirit by being baptized in the Spirit. I teach it, I preach it, I practice it, I encourage it. When I look at the account of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, I got to tell you, I get excited about the sound of the mighty wind and the appearance of tongues of fire that sat over the head of each person gathered in the upper room. I get excited about the ability to speak in a language never studied or learned. I get excited about the proclamation of the power of God on that day to people from all across the known world. I get excited about the miraculous acts of power that followed the outpouring of the Holy Spirit as the disciples began to minister under the anointing of that Spirit. And I want those kinds of things to be normal in this church. I want you to be filled with the Spirit. I want those same signs and wonders and miracles to be performed as a testimony of the power of God to work today. What the Lord has spoken to my heart for this message is to back up and look at one step before the outpouring, the coming of the fullness of the Spirit. I'm struck by the words of Acts 1.14, these all with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer. I'm struck by the words in our text when it says, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. I am convinced one of the miracles of Pentecost, it may not be the greatest miracle, maybe not even the most important miracle, But certainly a miracle of Pentecost is that there are are 120 church members, all from different backgrounds, with different temperaments, different personalities, in one room, and they are all in unity. I've been a pastor long enough to know what a miracle that is. In that upper room, we can see the illustration of what the Holy Spirit is speaking to us today. Where there is unity, there is power. Those 120 followers came together in agreement. When they did, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit looked down on that gathering. They said to one another, they've got it. They're ready. They're acting like us. And the Holy Spirit of power came into that room. He filled the lives of those disciples. The church was born. The gospel was preached. Signs and wonders and miracles followed. The Lord confirmed his word. The kingdom was advanced. And the world has never been the same since that day. Because where there is unity, there is power. Here's what I know. What was true for the disciples gathered in the upper room on the day of Pentecost... Is true for your life as well. You know, we talk about the power of the Spirit of God. We talk about His dynamic ability to turn things around. We talk about Him giving the ability to be more than conquerors. But far too often, we don't quite know exactly how to release that power of the Spirit into our area of need. Too many times, we run into obstacles we just don't know how to break through. Too many times we fall into the same old traps and can't seem to stay free. Too many times the devil does a number on our lives and we find ourselves back down in the hole of discouragement ready to throw in the towel. Too many times in our marriage relationships we keep, we keep hitting each other like this instead of moving together and flowing together like 70 years. I came to this pulpit today to put something in your hand that will be a means for releasing the dynamic of the Spirit of God into your place of need. All right? Why don't you just hold your hand out, okay? Because I'm going to give it to you. Here it is. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, If one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. Jesus promised in Matthew 18, verses 19 and 20, If two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. I'm telling you, if you want to break through the spiritual obstacle that won't move, if you want to be released from the bondage that has you bound, if you want to get out of defeat and cross over into victory, then you need to come into agreement with God God so His power can be released into that area of need in your life. If you want to experience the victory that has been promised, you need to come into unity with the purpose and the plan of God. You need to agree with God. Now, let me tell you two areas and then we're going to get out of here. You need to agree with Him first about who you are. We live in a culture that tries to define us by what we feel, or by our personal desires, or by the labels that are imposed on us by society. I need to remind somebody today, you are not who your teacher says you are. You are not who your parents say you are. You're not who your peers say you are. You are not who you think you are. You are not who your sin says you are. You are not who your guilt and your shame say you are. It is God and God alone who truly knows who you are, and it is God and God alone who can call you by your rightful name. When you have surrendered your life to Jesus, when you are born again by the Spirit, your past does not determine your present, nor does it dictate your future. See, old things have passed away. You are a new creature, a new creation in Him. You don't really believe that. Then why do you keep falling into the same old stuff and keep acting the same way? You don't, you're not that person anymore. Old things have passed away. You are a new creation in Him. So God says you are His child. God says you are His beloved, the object of divine affection. God says you are an heir of righteousness. God says you are redeemed. God says you are justified. God says you are no longer a sinner, you're a saint. God says you are no longer darkness, you are light. God says you are no longer bound, you are free. God says you are no longer confused, you are filled with power and love and a sound mind. God God says you are clean. God says you are complete and whole. God says you are important. God says you are not a failure, you're a winner. God says you're not a victim, you are victorious. God says you're not a loser, you are more than a conqueror. It's time you stopped confessing the negative and started affirming the positive. It's time you started seeing yourself the way God says you are. It's time you started agreeing with God about who you are. See, when you, when you bring yourself to a place where you unite with what God says about who you are, then the Holy Spirit begins to operate in a new dynamic in your life to bring the truth of what God says about you into an experiential reality. When you begin to agree with God, then the Holy Spirit comes in power to make it so. Because where there is unity, there is power. (laughs) Not only do you need to agree with God about who you are, but you also need to agree with God about what you must do. Now that you are a child of God, you cannot continue to live like you used to live. You cannot live like a child of the world and expect your life to be free from the weeds and the garbage that keeps you from fulfilling your calling and your purpose in Him. If you're constantly running into rocks in your life that you can't seem to move no matter how hard you try... Here's what God says you must do. Here's the agreement of unity you must come into with him. Stop walking by feelings and emotions. Stop dwelling on the past. Stop focusing on what you used to be. Fix your gaze... ...on who he is and the person he has called you to be. Put your hand in his hand and trust him with every step of your life. Walk by faith, not by sight. Walk by the truth of God's word, not by the opinions of others. Trying to help somebody today. Reject the old paths. Reject the former thought patterns. Every time the enemy of your soul tries to bog you down in despair, make a conscious decision to reject his lies. If he's talking, he's lying. Don't let that pass you by. If he's talking, he's lying. Reject the old crowd that cares nothing for the things of God. That may mean you need to get a new crowd to hang with. You may need a new crowd to run with. Reject the old lifestyle that brought you pain and misery and despair. Reject the things that lead you away from God and embrace the things that draw you to him. There's some things you have to reject. Then you've got to renew your mind. How do I do that, Pastor? I'm glad you asked because I wanted to tell you. You immerse yourself in God's word, which is truth. You put on the mantle of prayer. You put on the garment of praise. You put on thanksgiving. You put on kindness and gentleness and humility. You reject the old unregenerate way of living and the old thought patterns. You renew your mind, and then you reprogram your thinking. Follow the instruction of Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely— whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. I'd like to just stop right here long enough to help somebody in your, in, in your home and your, your family and your relationship with your husband and wife. I'd like to just stop long enough to say, that if you'll put that one verse into practice, it'll solve a lot of your issues. Because what happens is, you know, he wants to do this and she wants to do that. And the next thing you know, we start seeing each other as the problem. But I've just heard, heard a preacher say, where there is unity, there is power. So if we can get the two of you Instead of fighting against each other, we can get the two of you on the same page united fighting against the issue. And instead of focusing on what he doesn't do and what she does that drives me crazy, you start focusing on whatsoever is pure and what is true and what is lovely and what is of good report. The things that are virtuous, the things that are worthy of praise. And you let your mind dwell on these things. That's when the God of peace will be with you. That's how to bring peace into your home. You stop being so selfish. You stop saying it's all about me. Honey, it's not. It's not. If you'll stop saying it's about me and start saying it's all about thee. And then this one says it's not about me, it's about thee. Suddenly, you're going to find yourself coming into that position of unity. And where there is unity, there is power. And there are not enough devils in hell that can break you apart. See, some of you wonder why you don't seem to have any power in your life. Some of you wonder why you can't seem to get over certain obstacles and why you can't get, cert- get past a certain point in your walk with the Lord. Some of you wonder why your experience has become lifeless and dry and routine. Well, the answer for some of you is you haven't yet come into agreement with God about who you are and what you must do. See, we're, all, we're looking to be whole, and then we're going to make this surrender. But God insists that you make the surrender first. It's called faith. God insists that you trust him. You step out on nothing. When you do, you'll find that he has already placed his something there under you. And that something is his fullness and his wholeness and his power. If you desire his wholeness, if you desire his power, come into agreement with him. Because where there is unity, there is power. It's a real simple message, all I got. Today, I want you to get connected to that power. I I want you to get plugged into the work of the Holy Spirit in your life so that it becomes a living reality for you. I want you to live the overcoming life. I want this church to get plugged into the power we need to accomplish the incredible task the Holy Spirit has given us to make broken people whole, locally and globally. I want us to be a relevant force in this modern world. It can be done, but only... If we are in unity, united with one another in a common goal, united with what God says about who we are and what we must do, this is how we live the overcoming life. This is how we remain a relevant church in a modern world, because where there is unity, there is power. Say that with me, would you please? Where there is unity, there is power. Stand with me, please.